0: Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawassasi, and I'm your host for the Facts Roundtable podcast. I'm a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog. In today's episode, we're exploring how to embrace change during turbulent times with certified professional coach and consultant, Karen Palmer. Karen, welcome to the podcast. I have been waiting for this day to interview you. I am so happy to have you on the show.
1: I am very pleased to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, you're very welcome. So recently, our community's gotten to know you a little bit as the moderator from the For Your Health webinar series produced by Food Equality Initiative. But there's still many of us who aren't quite familiar with you, and you have a fascinating and deep background. So can you share with our listeners all about this interesting life you have lived and are living?
1: (laughs) I'm not so sure about fascinating, but it's definitely eclectic. you know, in terms of obviously coming to the food allergy world, I'm a food allergy mom. So, you know, the same way that many of us come, we come with personal experience. But as far as my professional background is concerned, I actually started out as a journalist. So, for over 20 years, I worked for CBS, CNN, MSNBC, um, you know, as a producer, you know, writer, <laughs> assistant assignment editor, you know, Jill of all trades, if you will. Love that work, but, you know, got to a point 20 plus years in where, you know, eventually all of us end up having to face layoffs at one point or another. And when that happened for me, I continued to freelance, but I also realized with a very young kid at that point, my daughter was two, that I needed to start thinking about what life beyond that would look like. And so I did a variety of of things. You know, I worked in the nonprofit field, uh, training other people to deal with media. So uh, all kinds of wonderful nonprofits like uh, the New York Women's Foundation, Human Rights Watch, helping them kind of refine their message across different kinds of platforms. I worked for the World Science Festival and the Tribeca Film Festival when they were young, working on events. And then through a very interesting sort of uh, chain of events, during that period where I was doing a lot of different things and trying to figure out what do I want to be like the next big step in life, a friend who I had worked on a board, a school board with, uh, approached me and said, I have a proposal for a charter school. I'd like you to read it. And I wonder whether or not you'd be willing to be part of my, you know, community advance team, if you will. And at that time, I had gone through a really sort of bruising kindergarten search for my daughter, you know, both on the academic and the food allergy front and, you know, came up feeling very short in the public arena, and said, you know, I would love to to be helpful. And my neighborhood in Brooklyn is a very large, very diverse, but very under-resourced neighborhood. And so her proposal addressed a lot of the things that I found really lacking and really tapped into something very deep in terms of a love for environmental science and then uh, an ability to tap the resources we had in our neighborhood, everything from the Brooklyn Museum to the Botanic Garden, you know, the kinds of things that many people take for granted as being here, but in many cases aren't necessarily accessible to kids from families that are under-resourced because of cost or time. So all of that to say that I ended up You know, working with them. They received a charter. And I said, great, I'm going to go back to my life and do my thing. And she said, well, hold up a minute. (laughs) And I said, what do you want now? And she said, I'd like you to apply for a job. And I said, but I'm not an educator. My parents were educators, but I'm a TV producer. And she said, well, it's the same skill set. It's just a different audience. And I thought about the fact that I was looking for a way to make a turn, make a change in my life And it was very scary because I thought, well, how am I really prepared to go into this arena? But I realized she was right about the skills. I was somebody who liked to create and develop things and to work with people on teams. And I was used to having to, you know, as I put it, you know, create order from chaos. And I said, well, let me step out on faith and do it. And I did it. So I ended up working there full time for three years and then thinking, I would love to be able to do this on a bigger scale. It's so clear that schools need more support in terms of the operational ends of things. There's so much out there for the academic side, the curricular side. Very little for the people who actually have to make the trains run on time, make sure that the school food is set up properly, making sure transportation is there, taking care of the just tons of compliance. All of those things are necessary to be able to teach kids. And so I developed an independent consultancy to be able to help these schools, you know, be able to build structures that would support good learning and create an environment that was safe and healthy uh, and conducive to learning. So I've continued to do that, although that part of my life is very quiet now because schools are very quiet. But at sort of a point about two years ago, I said to myself, as part of what I'm doing, I'm being asked to do a lot of coaching. And I was always asked, no matter what part of my career I was in, to coach people or train people. And I said, I really would like to get more serious about this and do more of it, because I I get a lot of joy out of that connection, helping people realize their potential and kind of be able to create a new path for themselves. So I went back to school. I got a professional coaching certification. And now I do a lot of that work across all of the fields that I've been in, which is kind of a great way of coming full circle. So I coach people in education, in nonprofit, in media, in business, in the arts. And it is a really wonderful way of being able to pull together the experiences that I've been fortunate enough to have.
0: That is an amazing background, but I love how everything you've done has built upon itself and it's all interconnected, and it's all come full circle. So now on this coaching certificate, is does it take months or years, or how long did that take you to work through?
1: There are different kinds of programs. In my case, it took me about a year. And I think, you know, like with everything, you know, the more you do it, the better you feel about it. I mean, I feel like in some aspect, as I said, I've been doing this work all my life, but to have a very clear, discrete set of tools, to have a community of practice, to be able to share this sort of journey with to myself be coached because in order to become a coach, you have to be coached. And so you have to learn what that perspective is like of someone who is actually on the journey themselves. And that was a huge, huge, huge opening of a door to learning for me, you know, and that's still going on.
0: That is fascinating. So then now what inspired you to become a coach focused on executives and leaders? Because I know you have a strong focus in that area. Why that group in
1: particular? I think because in a lot of the fields that I worked in, you know, again, media is corporate, even though many people don't tend to think of it that way. You know, nonprofit is not education because of, you know, the growth of the charter movement. I think a lot of people tend to think it's getting more corporate and, you know, we're not going to get into that fight here. But what the the real thought for me was is that a lot of people end up kind of rising to positions of influence in these fields without getting a lot of, in the way of leadership development or training and tremendous amount of pressure for people who are running, in essence, small communities. I mean, running a school is like running a small town. You have a huge number of stakeholders. Nonprofits are the same. You know you have fewer resources than corporate environments like finance, you know, for example, where this kind of training is considered to be pretty much automatic once you get to a certain level. But it's not available to a lot of people in those fields until you're at the very, very, very top if you're not in a money-driven kind of environment. And so I saw a real need in the people that I met to have a safe place, frankly, to discuss, their own achievement, their own goals, and to have someone who was a partner who didn't have kind of like skin in the game. Because, you know, if you're having these conversations with, you know, your own personal partner, with your boss, with your best friend, with your mother, everybody has a stake in the outcome, which means it's really hard for them to be emotionally detached. And that's what a coach does for you. A coach is there devoted to you 110%, but they can step back because the outcome is not that's not important to the coach. What's important is that you partner with them on that journey of designing the path they need to get there, whatever they decide.
0: Right. And I can see too a coach isn't going to come in with biases either, based on the relationship with you, your coach is going to be really just taking it all in for face value, and then maybe ask the hard questions and maybe go a little deeper, where you're right, someone who knows you might not be comfortable going that deep.
1: Yeah. The idea that you have that person, that place, to just talk about yourself. I mean, we tend to think of that as being very kind of selfish, when in fact, if you're not living intentionally, how are you ever going to get anywhere except by accident, which is not really the way any of us want to live? (laughs) So true, right?
0: Oh my God, yes. All right. So now I've read your philosophy on coaching, and it talked about shifting one's mindset to improve outcomes. So given our current times that are incredibly turbulent right now, it feels like the only thing that is constant is this never ending change. So, right, it's just, we're constantly in change here. So how can we address handling the changes that we're all experiencing right now in this pandemic?
1: So, you know, I I can only speak from my own point of view. I'm sure many people have different ways of, you know, coping with change. But the things that I hear most often when I talk to people now center around the idea of being overwhelmed and not being able to focus on anything. Because so much is happening that it's really hard to just kind of sit still with stuff and and figure out what do I do next. And so, you know, the first thing really is to deal with the sense of overwhelm. And to try and pare back, I mean, you know, we're all working at home, or many of us are working at home. I will certainly not say all because I have plenty of friends who are essential workers who don't have that luxury. And so then they're also dealing with, you know, the issues of having to go out and deal with the environment in a way that many other people are not. But to really kind of, you know, pare back and realize that at the essence of everything, you have to really practice good self-care right now which is also something that we're not all very good at. Certainly, I will speak as a mom, as a woman, as someone who is in a caregiving profession. I know that personally, that's something I've struggled with and I see it in a lot of people that in a time of chaos, we're much more worried about taking care of our families, what's happening at work. Maybe we have a parent who needs our help. And you don't realize that if you don't do job one, which is starting with yourself, you're not gonna do a good job at any of the other things. And so, again, centering yourself and saying, what do I need in order to be able to rise to the occasion for anything else that might be happening now? That's that's the first thing.
0: You know, it's so true about self-care. I think, again, like you're saying, as a mom, as women, as co-workers, we just leap into let's make it right, let's fix it. But it refers to everybody else but ourselves. So now, just switching gears just slightly here. How can we address the current climate of exploring race and racism regarding non-black Indigenous people of color? Um, how can we be part of that kind of change? And I do want to put an emphasis on not only meaningful but sustainable, because we're seeing a lot of posts right now where people are posting solidarity and they've been really moved by the events that just recently happened. But then, how do we make that? Change over to meaningful and long-term?
1: So I think, you know, I'm I'm coming back to the same thought is, you know, what do you really control in life? The only thing you control in life is your own behavior, your own person. And so if you're thinking, I want to be able to be, you know, um, an ally, you know, however you choose to define that, but what it means is that I want to come from a perspective where I am embracing, where I'm not causing pain. You start again with yourself, and I think for a lot of people, and I've had this conversation with a lot of white friends and colleagues, the first thing I say is that other people do not hold this answer for you. You have to develop an answer that makes sense for yourself. So, you know, you can't go to your black friends and pick up the phone and say, gosh, what can I do? because they can't answer for you, on top of which you're then asking them to perform emotional labor that, you know, frankly, isn't their their job to perform, that the work is internal. So you can ask yourself questions, you know, about yourself and your environment. You can, you know, say, you know, who's part of my circle? Why are they part of my circle? If my circles aren't as diverse as I want them to be, thinking about this now, how has that come about? What kinds of things can I do to bring the change that I would like to see into my own life. And as you start with your own life, those actions radiate outward. Those are conversations you can have with friends. You know, white allies can talk amongst themselves to talk about being that change that they want to see. But it, it starts with the person. It starts with the internal. It starts with how you see everything else.
0: Absolutely. Wise words of wisdom. I fully understand and support that. And actually, I'm participating in it. And so I don't know if you're aware, but as part of being a FACT team member, we're exploring race through the guidance of Erin Matthews, whose business and program is called Living in Empathy. And so through her and her work partner, Nima Novak, we're actually meeting every single week. And it's this deep interpersonal Exchange And we've only had one week, and it's been phenomenal. I mean, just the, the conversations and the text messages going back and forth between fax teams and people sharing information and materials and, and thoughts, but it's all just right here in our soul and our hearts, you know, starting here. So I completely understand what you're saying, and I'm, I'm feeling it. And I really appreciate you sharing this with our listeners.
1: Uh, I'd, I'd heard that this was happening. I'm excited for you all because, again coming from a coaching perspective, there is nothing more powerful than making discoveries about yourself that allow you to grow. Because, you know, I think of, you know, one of my favorite principles from the program I was trained in is, uh, you know, it says, we either grow or die. And that sounds very melodramatic, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, you have two options. Again. You know, I mean, but it's true.
1: Everything that involves us reaching any kind of higher level of achievement, any higher higher level of personal energy, involves pushing out of our comfort zone. And so having these conversations, which are difficult, uh, which are sometimes painful, this is what allows us to get to whatever kind of stretch goal we're we're looking for. And so whether that's in, you know, your job, in your family, in your personal relationships, whether or not it's about your relationship to your community and thinking about what role do I play as a white person who wants to have a more inclusive community and is willing to do the work to build one. You know, this is all about going to that place where you have to dig a little deeper.
0: Yeah, well it's a very amazing and special place and we're looking so forward to going through these sessions into our next sessions and I'm sure you'll hear more about it from us. But you know, based on that talking about change, what type of mindset do you think is needed to embrace change and to find that peace in change because you know, we talk about it, but it's a little scary. So, any tips on how we can get there?
1: Well, I'm taking you right back to we either grow or die. <laughs> You know? I like this. But, but it's a growth mindset acknowledges that there is difficulty along the way, but that difficulty is part of creating the person that you're meant to be. I mean, one of the things that I think is really difficult in our society, not just in this moment, but in general, is that we really avoid conversations about failure and what failure whatever you define that as means. And, you know, if you look at, you know, I think people in the tech industry first started talking about that as a business thing, you actually have to have things not work. You have to make mistakes in order to develop something and and get better at it. Science is all about that. Like we design an experiment and we do it and, you know, okay, this didn't work. What did we learn from that? So failure is an integral part of success at anything. We do things We see what works and what doesn't. We take that knowledge and we move on. So a growth mindset means we have to be willing to experience all parts of the spectrum. That chasing perfection is doomed because A, it doesn't exist, and you know, B, you don't learn anything from doing everything the same way all the time. You can't move, you can't grow. And if you don't grow, you know, you don't get better at anything. And, you know, then we know what happens the other part of that phrase.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't end very well. (laughs) Wonderful.
1: I think there's a lot around that right now, that idea, you know, we talked about the idea of the uncomfortable conversation. And one thing about that growth is being willing to express the fact that, you know, sometimes you'll say things that, you know, again, that may hurt. And to be honest about that, and to say, I'm making myself vulnerable, I'm going to say these things, you know, and I I want you to let me know how this is landing. I'm willing to take that and to to react and to respond and to think about how I do it next time. Because if people are afraid to talk about stuff because they're afraid about how it's going to be received, we're never going to have conversations at all about things that matter. So understand that you will, at some point, piss someone off uh, from either direction, whatever direction you're talking about. But that if you are willing to say, I'm not going to assume that this is personal in that way, but that this is part of my growth process, you're going to get a lot farther with it. And, you know, we all know the difference between somebody coming at you for you and somebody volunteering something where they say, you know, I'm making myself vulnerable. At least we can we can work towards knowing it.
0: Thank you for that insight. Very, very powerful words. Thank you. So you recently joined Fact's newly developed Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Board. So I want to thank you for joining this new advisory board. But also, I'd like to know what do you hope to see from this board, and what does it mean
1: to you? Well, number one, I was absolutely thrilled to be invited to join. Um, you know, I mean, to be part of an organization that is really dedicated towards improving. The quality of life for people in the food allergy community and the way that fact is and has demonstrated, you know, it's, it's I take it as a very big responsibility. Um, you know, when we learned, you know, almost, my goodness, you know, my daughter's about to turn 18. So, you know, close to 20 years that we've been part of all of this. And I remember how alone we felt at the beginning. You know, there just wasn't the same kind of public discussion about food allergy, Certainly within the Black community, there was not a lot of, you know, uh, organized, you know, kind of way to get involved in things. And I think of, you know, when Emily Brown from Food Equality Initiative wrote the letter that she wrote just last month to the food uh, allergy community in general about her frustration. You know that led her to to start her own organization and to to speak out because she felt that uh, black families in particular were marginalized within the community those were all things that i could identify with and i thought if you are unhappy with the way that things have been going it is also your responsibility to figure out a way to contribute to that conversation and so you know fact is giving me a platform to be able to share some thoughts that i think will be Very important to the community, uh, and also to be able to grow the conversation in a way that's good for everyone that's part of the food allergy community.
0: Well, again, thank you for bringing your expertise and your time and your energy to that advisory board. You know, the goal for FACT is to, again, like you mentioned, start within. And let's learn and grow from there. And then let's now turn to people like you and others in the community that can really help us continue exploring from that organizational level, from that food allergy community level. And how can we grow and reach out and continue to serve everybody, you know, especially focusing on the underserved. So thank you so much for your time.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you. I have really enjoyed it.
0: Oh, good. And um, lastly, before we sign off, is there anything you would like to say to listeners? Or do you feel that they need to hear this from you today?
1: Wow. I think if there's anything, you know, sort of against this backdrop of all of the very, you know, intense, you know, emotionally kind of involving things that we've been experiencing over the last couple of months, I would say more than anything that people, wherever they can, should take the opportunity to think about what community means to them. You know, it's a word we throw around a lot, but I think this is a really good time for us to redefine the actual meaning of that, how we connect to other people, how we interact. You know, we've had to make a lot of changes in terms of how that works, but how we're going to get the most out of that in a way that's good for everyone. Because I think we've been used to defining community as, you know, our own homes, our own schools, our own churches and not thinking about the larger sense of what community is and can be. And in these times when we have a lot of very, very difficult, you know, issues to face, being stronger, you know, that's something that comes as a result of having, I think, a more expansive definition of community. So I'd encourage everyone to think about what that means for themselves and then what they can do to actually bring that to life. Thank
0: you, Karen. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. We all really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your wisdom, and you just have such a kind, gentle, and loving demeanor. Huh. I've just enjoyed every minute of this, so I look forward to hopefully seeing you in person one day and yes. having you back on the show.
1: Oh, I would love to. You know, I was going to say, you know, let's think 2021. There, there, Lots of good things have to be ready for us then.
0: <laughs> I am ready for that. I've ordered it up. We're
1: just going <laughs> to... Uh, You know, put it out there, put it out there in the universe.
0: That is it. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, share and review our podcast and be sure to connect with us on social media. You can find us on Apple Podcast, iTunes, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio and Spotify. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.